Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood Guide, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, screwing up the intro song for the stars of Destiny getting 2023 off to a strong start. I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Well, congratulations on screwing it up. At least you got it all out of the way for the rest of us. Also joining me is my equally lovely co-host, Eric Van Allen. See, now that we don't have to be perfect, we can be good. That's what it's about. You get the mistakes out of the way early. Y'all, I spent all this time setting up the soundboard, getting everything correctly (laughs) going over the holidays. I'm like, we're going to go back to the soundboard for the Stars of Destiny. They deserve it. They're watching us early on a Saturday morning. It's going to be great. And then I accidentally cut it off (laughs) right in the middle and... Uh, yeah, so it's a good way to start. Maybe it's an omen, maybe it's not. I'm not sure. In any event, hello and welcome to 2023 properly. We did our big 2023 preview episode, but we recorded that last year. This is the first proper episode of the new year. Very excited to be back for year eight of Acts of the Blood God here with Nadia and Eric. We've got a lot planned for you in this episode. And actually, this is an episode from one of our $50 patrons. It's from Not Hollow, and their segment is, what RPGs and other games of the last 10 years show us what the next decade of RPGs will be like. Not Hollow, thank you so much for being one of our Doom Wardens and supporting us at the $50 level. You rock, and I look forward to talking about your segment a little bit later. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. If you enjoy the podcast, thank you very much. Please leave us a podcast or a review on the podcatcher of your choice. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at Seamoozy, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. Also, we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where as always, there is a ton of bonus content. For example, if you want to watch us record this episode live, and gab with us and basically watch me screw up uh, the intro music you can support us as a stars of destiny tier um we also have our pantheon of the blood god episode we just did fire emblem three houses in preparation for the release of fire emblem engage great conversation right there and we are getting ready to do a deep dive into intelligent systems and finally we have charlie and dropouts our Final Fantasy fourteen podcast. That's patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. And now it's time to talk about what we have play, been playing, our sacrifices to the blood god. And Eric, it sounds like you're going for a little pre-persona, as we're like, mm-hmm. uh, so we were playing Fire Emblem Three Houses, and in a way, you were playing the game that started it all. Yeah, yeah, I... Like I do every year on holiday break, I'm like, I'm going to take a game off my backlog. Uh, The year before it, it was Super Metroid, uh, which I finally got around to playing. And this year, Tokimeki Memorial, heart, heart, heart beat, heart throb Memorial. Um, This is one that has sat on my backlog for forever. Did you get around to it because Tim Rogers reviewed it? That yes. One time? No, I mean, that that's what put it on the map for me was, me too. was Tim Rogers video. Uh, and so I definitely was enamored with it because I was somebody who grew up uh, with games like a lot of flash games and stuff feel very inspired by that era. There were a lot of 
dating sim flash games and stuff around the early 2000s era that uh, were very popular. Uh, and, and then you get into games like Persona, like Fire Emblem Three Houses, and they're all inspired by that type of design. So I figured it was time to go back and play the classics. And I played through a full run of Tokimeki Memorial. I romanced the blue haired. Uh, I thought she was a sports girl, but she's not a sports girl. It was very confusing. Like you meet her on the sports track, but you don't like she's not actually that athletic. She just likes watching baseball. It was weird. So I was like, ah, I got tricked. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you, like the, you like the baseball girl? Yeah, the, the baseball girl who was, who's also a cook. That's like her whole mm. thing. She's also like good at cooking. That was who's what the, the special event. One? The blue haired one. Yeah, she. I like. Well, she's one of the blue haired characters. Yeah, yeah. You make the me other... sound like she starts murdering people with her baseball bat. Like, oh, you like the <laughs> mm-hmm. blue haired yeah. one? Huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tokimeki Memorial takes takes a turn. No, it, it's quite it's... beautiful. Um, as PlayStation games go, um, gorgeous artwork at the time. And set 1995, which is just a uh, oh, perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. my game right there. A little bit of sketchy humor here and there, um, but it's like a finely tuned watch in terms of how the uh, actual dating mechanics uh, end up working in the relationships. All of the characters feel very real in the way that they interact with you because the density of the actual writing is like a lot. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's really amazing to see like how all the systems interact. I think for a game, I played the SNES version because my my oh, Japanese is not that good yet. <laughs> and so Duolingo doesn't have me at the able to read Tokimeki Memorial part um, yet. But I know that a friend of mine, a friend of mine, Tom James, is actually in the process of localizing the PlayStation version as well. Well, so, then. yeah, which well, is then. a quite the undertaking, I have to say. Mm. Yeah, but it, it it's really incredible, and I would encourage people who like Persona, who like Three Houses, who want to see where this stuff started, to go try out this version of the game because even though it's not the most optimal version, the the SNES version, it is really really cool to see where this genre, you know, maybe didn't get its start, but did get like popularized and spread around. Uh, Koji Igarashi is in the credits for this oh, wow. game. Um, yeah, as as Iga, the IGA is in there. Castlevania it was guy. Fun. Yeah, yeah. It was weird. I was like, oh, okay. It's the the Castlevania of dating. Does does the states have a grocery store chain called IGA? No, no, no. Okay, every time I see Iga's name, I think of IGA, the grocery store chain. So I just Eric, what's your <laughs> grocery store chain? I mean, for Texas, it's AGB. A G B K G B H H E B the Heb Heb, yeah yeah. It's when I was growing up. Beautiful. It was when I was growing up. It was Cub Foods and Piggly oh, Wiggly. God. I and, love those Pokemon. And when I and now it's Safeway. So there you go. Local grocery store information. I'm, I find that mm-hmm. weirdly fascinating. It's yeah. Metro in in my area, but yeah. yeah. Well. I have been diving into my backlog. Um, I finally beat the fourth Divine Beast in Breath of the Wild after all this time because I got talking about Tears of the Kingdom, a Nintendo voice chat. And I was like, I'm going to beat this game. I'm going to beat Breath of the you Wild. You haven't beat I, it yet? I, thought you I it. got the Master Sword, the Hylian Shield. I got all this stuff. And I was like, okay, time to beat the game. And then I got into the fourth Divine Beast. 
and looked at all of the stuff that I had to do in terms of rotating this and doing that. Mm-hmm. Got halfway through the Divine Beast, it got tired and left and quit. And this was in early 2018. I must have been distracted by something. So that was mm. when my last save mm-hmm. was. Had a brief scare because I fired up the game and the intro started. And I was like, what? What? Where's my save? It was in the backup because I switched to the OLED oh, in that time. Yeah, mm. I've done that. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, thanks, God. So I downloaded uh, Breath of the Wild's uh, saves again, got back into it, remembered how to play this game, had a good time going through the uh, fourth Divine Beast, the one in the Gerudo Desert. And now I'm ready to take on Ganon. I'm ready to finish off Breath of the Wild uh, just so that I can add it to my my list of accomplishments. And let me tell you all, Breath of the Wild is still a pretty good game. Mm-hmm. It What's is. Up? Yeah, it definitely does. It's a good game to just, I find when I have to fire it up for any reason, like even just to research something, I just start like playing around with it for at least an hour because it's just so fun to go in any direction, see what's there. Have you have you done all the memories, Kat? Have you gone no. and got all the okay? Oh, get, you should get the memories before you begin. I got like six. Get six all of them. the memories. Yeah. Okay. They're very. Uh, the memories are very good. One of my favorite parts of the game. But I agree. I agree. Actually, you also want to get all of them before you beat the game. <clears throat> I was also thinking about playing through the Champions Ballad DLC. Mm. There's the trials, and then there's the Champions Ballad, and I think mm-hmm. the Champions Ballad is more centered around the actual champions and everything it's, yeah it's more centered around the champions and you get that really wicked ass motorcycle horse yeah. oh is that how you get the motorcycle yeah it's okay. pretty cool I, I do love that thing i it's interesting to come back to this game after six years because it is the actual characters look very nice i love the stylization of it link himself looks like so cool with all of the tools mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. dangling from his belt and from his back. I like a good RPG where you can see all the tools that you're carrying. Yeah. That said, the actual overworld is so simple in a way that I had totally never really appreciated until now. I would mm. say I would say it still looks a bit better than Pokemon Legends Arceus. Oh yeah. But not much better. Yeah. There, there's something about the world in Breath of the Wild. Every time I boot it up, I think Arceus had a lot of those open areas and it felt like they were open because they just didn't want space. They wanted Pokemon to be the center of attention, right? Mm-hmm. But Breath of the Wild, when it feels open and vast, it feels like much more intentional. Like that's what, like you wanted this this moment of Link walking through these big grasslands and kind of the wind coming in and being able to see for miles. Like there's there's a big feeling of, space and and emptiness and the void of where like life used to flourish and now it's just link and and yeah that game i love that game as a top 10 game for me i mean it's an amazing game i i would say that if you played one zelda you should probably play breath of the wild um but would you agree like or would you say play a classic zelda yes i I, would say if you want to play a zelda like like specifically a zelda yeah i i would say like ocarina wind waker or it doesn't hold up my dude i I know but if you want like the idea of what a zelda is if you want one that's going to be good today it's wind waker if you go back to the past wind waker very like very good but also i would argue quite flawed ocarina of time doesn't hold up very well and a link to the past 
I think you have to be in a little bit of a 16-bit mindset to play A Link to the Past. So it's hard to find Link Between that... Worlds. Link Between Worlds is a good compromise there. I agree, actually. I think Link Between Worlds is a lovely, traditional Zelda experience. Um, it makes me think that it would be actually kind of nice to have a remake or a remaster of Ocarina of Time, wouldn't it? Um, but uh, I think Breath of the Wild is so cool and so accessible. And actually, I think Breath of the Wild brings the series back to the way it was at the very beginning when oh, you were first, in yeah. kind of a an, a world you weren't sure what to do. So you just bombed every wall and slashed at every grass and looked for every secret until uh, you found it. And it was very open-ended. Uh, Breath of the Wild really captures that essence, um, maybe more so than the kind of the denser worlds that we got later on with uh, A Link to the Past. But mm -hmm. I, I think the platonic ideal, the classic Zelda, is definitely A Link, a link to the Past. Yeah. A link. So play A Link to the Past or A Link Between Worlds. One of the top-down ones. They're very good. Um, the other game that I uh, played over the holiday, I finally, I finally did it, y'all. I finished Witcher 3. Yes, I, I finished Blood and Wine. I've been playing Witcher 3 since 2017. Wow. And I got all the way to the Hearts of Stone DLC in like 2019, I think. And then it just sat there for a very long time because I was having a hard time getting through kind of the final encounter of Hearts of Stone. And then I finally did it. And then Blood and Wine was sitting there and I was like, well, I'll just play when the next gen remaster came out. Finally, the next-gen remaster came out last year, and I, I was like, I'm playing this over the holiday, and I did because I had a fair amount of time on my hand. Y'all, let me tell you, the Blood and Wine DLC is outstanding. Witcher 3 mm. is an all-time RPG. Holy mm -hmm. cow. Yes, the PC next-gen remaster is not that great yeah. in a lot of respects. Um, yeah. They keep having to release hotfixes for it, but... Uh, it looks amazing with ray tracing. The ray trace, like, go watch the Digital Foundry uh, video explaining all of the kind of the updates to it and everything. It was playing it on PC, so there was that. Eric, did you said yes? Did you ever play through all of Witcher Three in the expansion? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, um, yeah. No, Witcher Three is definitely one of my favorite games of the last generation, and I think the way it blood and wine specifically like leaves off that story is honestly one of the best endings to a game I've ever seen. It's, it's very, very good and characters very rarely get a send off and, and I'm not spoiling anything, but like it very much is like, Hey, look, hanging up the sword, like everything's done. We're all good here. And winking to the camera. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but the way they do it and how it happens and the way they tie in things like your romantic choice from the game. Oh, my God. When Yennefer showed up, I was so happy. Um, it, it was just wonderful. I I didn't have that happen. I picked Triss. Well, mm -hmm. you picked wrong, and, and that's why. And the game was <laughs> really just you. informing you. Maybe, yeah. maybe I had a different ending. Like, maybe, did I miss something? I must have missed something. Yeah, yeah. If you boot it back up, I think you can do a thing. You go to the vineyard. If you I did go back vineyard. to the vineyard. Yeah, and there's, there's like a thing you can do to have your romantic partner show up. Oh, okay. Because I, I, the last thing I did was fully upgrade my vineyard. 
And mm-hmm. I'm not going to spoil it, but there was a rather lovely scene uh, that kind of capped it off. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. was like, this is how I want my Witcher 3 experience to end. This is actually quite beautiful. And it did not involve my r- romantic partner. By the way, uh, Kian, get off our case. Get the tr- get off the case of the Triss dance, okay? Triss is good. She's fighting. <laughs> she's fighting for the rights of the mages. What's Yennefer doing? Huh? Yeah, doing cool shit. Doing yeah, good. Off being Be- a witch or something. Like or mentoring Siri, and I don't know, like finding unicorns and stuff. Like like <laughs> Yennefer's always up to cool shit. And actually, and like, in hindsight, in hindsight, I would have picked Yennefer. But at the time, I didn't know anything. And Triss was the first one that I met. Mm. And so yeah. I was like, oh, Classic. they seem to have a lot of history. And she's like a fiery redhead. I'm into fiery redheads. I'll date you. Sure. This is great. And then Yennefer showed up and I was like, damn. This is the lesson learned from Tokimeki Memorial. You never date the first girl that shows up yeah, in the Kat, dating sim. Yeah, that persona? You, yeah. you chose Chie and broke her heart because you had to uh, go for Naoto. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. And ever since <laughs> I've like I'm I'm sticking with I'm not breaking anybody's heart. Hopeless breaking Chie's heart. Over here. Breaking Chie's heart was one of the top five most devastating moments of my life. Top five anime <laughs> betrayals. <laughs> <laughs> um Cat but Bailey blood, Blood and Wine itself, amazing. Uh, the the actual setting is so beautiful. Uh, somebody was saying in the chat that there, it was their second favorite location after Skellige. I think it's my favorite location. There's, I uh, the expand the, the side quests are so big. Like there's this whole damn side quest where mm-hmm. you're participating mm-hmm. in a big tournament and mm-hmm. doing all mm-hmm. of these uh, different events, and they give you like special armor and everything. Um, and it's this this lovely little self-contained story about, of course, breaking a curse because it's a freaking Witcher game. Uh, mm-hmm. There's an entire fairy tale world. It's it's crazy, like the amount of stuff that they packed into this. Multiple new systems. They overhauled the the mutagen system. Mm-hmm. They introduced um, the entire vineyard system that, like, you can uh, improve your stats. You can build it up by investing money into it. The Grand Master armor, which of course I went and got. Uh, if you've never played Witcher Three, Nadia, um, mm-hmm. like it's kind of like reading an epic length novel, but it's totally worth it. I think. No, it's definitely like now that the remaster is out, like it is definitely like on the top of my to do list. Sadly, the Switch version is not the optimal way to play that game. No, no, no. I'm going for PlayStation Five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to sit down on with that? It. I gotta put something on that console. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Gotta put something on it. I, I mean, I heard a little game called God of War Ragnarok came out last year. Eh, yeah, yeah, who would play yeah, that? It did. That sounds like I a bad know. time. Uh, I'm going to get around to it eventually. In it. I do like Fenrir. Fenrir's cool. The okay, IGN yeah. audience picked God of War Ragnarok as their game of the year. Look, they, they can... Now? They can they can eat whatever they want. There's McDonald's all around the country, but... <laughs> I, oh, come on. God of War Ragnarok <laughs> is not McDonald's. Like... I'm not going to say that it's my favorite game of the, the year. First pod of the year. <laughs> it is not McDonald's. It's like the Sizzler, or you know, like a like a pretty solid steakhouse, something it's, like that. We're, so we're not going to Black Angus. It's Five Guys. It's Five Guys. It's not me. Five Guys. It's not fast food. It's a mm. perfectly mm. good mid level, up Fud mid Rutgers. to upper level uh, steakhouse. Rutgers. Where you're gonna spend? It's Morton's. 
God of War Ragnarok is Morton's. I don't know what Morton's is. Morton's is a fairly upscale steakhouse chain. And you're, you're going to go there. You're going to spend a lot of money. If your your corporate clients will be very impressed if you bring them there, you're going to drink a, you're going to have a boat, a, a giant gravy boat full of mashed potatoes and gravy. Oh, uh, that's the God of War Ragnarok experience. And you're you're going to feel like you're like, wow, this is great. Like very polished experience, that kind of thing. So just, uh, just so I'm not putting all my analogies on the food thing. My thing with God of War Ragnarok is that I think it's fine. It's good. It's, it's well made. It's well produced. I just think it's, so slow and takes forever to get anywhere and is so stuffed with things it doesn't need like numbers and equipment and and like puzzles that aren't good i think the puzzles in that game are actually very bad so i i you don't yeah. like ps3 era environmental puzzles push the I, box I'm, freeze the water okay <laughs> now freeze the water the other direction i was i was playing it and i was like but the, the combat in that game is so good eric it really I've, is. I've heard it gets better, but the thing up front with especially, me was that. Especially, you see how good the combat is when you get to the late game and the optional content, and you're yeah. fighting the optional bosses, and you're like, oh, damn, like the combat in this game is like lit. I think that's, but if it, I if think it that's what that makes long. it a cut above. I think The Last of Us is a much better game than God of War and God of War Ragnarok, all things considered. And I think the. Like, by all accounts, the middle section of God of War Ragnarok is just absolutely miserable before it finds itself yes. again at the end. But Sequinox um, says it's Waffle House. Yeah. I, I wanted I want a game it's to be Waffle good House. up front. I've never been Waffle to a Waffle House. Waffle House is Valhalla, so I can understand where this is coming Abby from. Abby of the Moon says, Morton's is a subpar steakhouse, and this is where I out myself and admit, I'm a vegetarian. I don't go to steakhouses. What, what am I talking about? <laughs> it's where you eat dead cows. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. I... I only know Morton's by reputation, I guess you could say. But uh, don't play God of War Ragnarok. Play Witcher 3. Play Witcher yeah, 3 and Blood and Wine. Yeah, it's mm. a good plan. Mm. And Abby, if you haven't played Blood and Wine yet, definitely go play it. It is a wonderful 25 to 30 hour experience. Like, it's actually kind of its own game. A little bit of a Witcher 3.5. So anyway, that was my holiday. Nadia, what did you play? I'm kind of in a holding pattern, waiting for uh, Fire Emblem. So I spent the holiday uh, playing, just kind of getting dusted up on FF14 since the new patch is coming. Yeah. And FF14 also has a lot of holiday events, so I kind of made sure I got those out of the way because it's like, holy shit, Reindeer Mount, that like has a thing where it like throws presents, like a, a, a an action that you do. And uh, was, that was like, like every week, every year, Final Fantasy 14 has a Christmas event, and there's always a cute little story to go along with it. And it's like, this was a nice event. This was a nice year. Better than the year that some girl's mother got magical cancer or something. Everyone was so mad that happened. Magical <laughs> cancer. <gets> story. <laughs> there's always some story and some feel good story. And it's like, it was, it's always some Hallmark Final Fantasy thing. And yes, one year, someone's mother had magical cancer. I think she's okay, but it was a downer either way. But this year, Holy shit, reindeer. So I was good. Holy and, shit. Uh, holy shit, reindeer. So yeah, I, I didn't do much. Like I was saying over uh, before the pre-show or during the pre-show, I was watching a lot of Archer. So kind of a, uh, finally watching that. Yeah, I uh, love more that. Than I, was playing I games. love that for you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very watchable show. Um, I think that you can stop after season five. I was wondering about that because I'm looking at it like, holy crap, it's still going yeah. on. How many seasons is it? Uh, yeah. Archer Archer is amazing through one in one through three. 
pretty good at four. Not as good in five, but it's a good conclusion. And then after that, like it gets weird and or depressing. Um, and a little high concept because Adam Reed just kind of goes, I don't know. Uh, uh. Archer's in a coma now. And our, we're in his coma dream. He's going to be dreaming about space. other situations. Yeah. Oh, it's, that's uh, kind of the last refuge. The, of the, someone the, has the no ideas. The apex of the show is the three-parter, which is basically a feature-length Archer movie That's uh-huh. the, that kicks off season three. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, that, that to me is the apex of the show, but there's a lot of great stuff in Archer. You, you'll enjoy it. You enjoy it. So far, I, so good. So far, so good. Um, I have an addition, by the way, that I want to make to oh, okay. our, our sacrifice of the blood god. Just a quick one right here. The, on the, New Year's... the, the blood god's eating well today, isn't uh-huh. it? Yeah. On New Year's Eve, I beat the final boss of Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Oh, oh did you? Congratulations. However, I had to go to a New Year's party, and I was already making us late because of how long it was taking me to beat the JRPG god. I'm sorry. <laughs> you were holding up everybody at the Kansas City new year's party because you were beating xenoblade chronicles 3 yes that's not on brand (laughs) that being said once i beat it and i had to fight it twice because i died the first run and it makes you start from the beginning uh once i beat it i paused and so now my switch has been sitting paused on the final (laughs) cutscene of xenoblade chronicles 3 for uh, quite a while now (laughs) i oh I, i love that shit i will Finish it soon. Please do. The spoiler cast is coming, y'all. But you should probably turn off your switch. <laughs> no, I'm not going to turn off my switch. I'd have to fight God. You're going to burn in your screen. <laughs> no, it, it, you turn off the screen. It, 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 it can go to sleep, and it keeps the. It goes the, to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, it keeps it suspended. I do yeah. that all the time. That was sitting in my car the whole drive back, sitting paused on some screen of Tyon going, oh, <laughs> it's just it Amazing. Was fine. It, it'll do fine. Oh, I, I, I have a couple more things I want to shout out before we move on. First of all, I dropped Marvel Snap. Um, yeah. Again. Yeah. Well, um, I, I was very sick and I played a lot of Marvel Snap and I came to associate Marvel Snap with my sickness. Oh, and I've done that. Also, oh, cough yeah. suppressant and kind of sucked. Also, <laughs> I just I hit this point of like a mega grind where mm. it and I realized that this is a game where I'll never have the cards that I want to be able to build decent decks, and it's just going to be mm. frustrating. So, and, and and it's a time sink and not that worth it. So I dropped it, but I did pick up Pokemon Go while yes, I was uh, over the holidays and. I, it's been encouraging me to go on poker walks around my neighborhood. And mm. good for you. I'm currently owning two gyms on Alameda Islands. So they have added like a, a lot since you came back. And even like recently, they just added a new yeah. poker stop in my area for the karate school I used to go to, actually. So mm. yeah, it's pretty much the only thing Niantic has going on, to be honest with you. Everything else I like they've the, tried is kind of bomb. I like the poses for the different characters, but I'm not going to spend 500 coins on them. Um, Abby of the Moon asking if I'm feeling better. Yes, I'm feeling better. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And also, I um, shout out to DJ Bagel Pup who gave me a Vita Grip oh, <laughs> for no. Christmas. I didn't realize how good the Vita is when you put one of those grips on. I was like, oh, this is, this is way better. This is mm-hmm. I've been missing this all along. 
So I fired up Muramasa, the Muramasa Yo. Rebirth. Yeah. Which, if you're not familiar with it, um, not a maybe you would like it because it's basically Odin Sphere Letrazir, but in ancient Japan. Oh, that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. I might say. Yeah, it's a it's a vanillaware. Yeah. It's a vanillaware joint. Yeah, um, I love vanillaware. Yeah, I, uh, I I I love. Uh, it's nice to go back to the Vita. It's a beautiful screen. Um, I, I feel like it gets a little overshadowed by the Nintendo Switch sometimes, but um, there's a lot to love about that little console. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd still do. So much appreciated, DJ Bagel Pup. All right, that's it for what we've been playing. And now it's time for a series of random encounters. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cyberpunk 2077 lawsuit with investors settled for $1.85 million. Microsoft took back the whole unconstitutional thing in terms of the FTC. Fire Emblem Engage previews are out, and they seem uncertain whether or not it is more three houses or less. My impression was that it was less three houses because That's what I, I thought. Yeah. yeah, because it's more more of the tactics side and less of the social mm. side is what I've been able to gather. I have seen headlines that are both it's more three houses and it's less three houses, so I'm confused personally. <laughs> I'm and curious. The blood Amazing god people will investigate. People who say it's more three houses don't know what they're talking about. The blood god will investigate. Don't worry. The blood god will investigate when we play Fire Emblem Engage. Sony revealed a new accessibility-oriented PS5 controller called Project Leonardo. ZeniMax QA testers successfully voted to unionize, and Microsoft recognized it unconditionally, so now they're negotiating. Wizards of the Coast reportedly canceled five unannounced games. Also, they've been in the headlines a bit because of their open gaming license snafu mm-hmm. in which they're basically demanding royalties from anybody who uses their rules to create their own versions of tabletop games so really? pathfinder uh crit roll made their own book based on uh, the D rules uh among other things so uh that's causing a holding uproar right now but mm-hmm. asbro has been having a bad time of it recently and so they're i think really cracking down on Wizards of the Coast. It's like, Wizards of the Coast, you doubled your revenue. Do it again. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, they're squeezing that cash cow. When have time. we in the media ever heard that story? Never. <laughs> yeah, no, never. I don't know what that's like at all. <laughs> Thousand Fairy yards tale. stare into the distance. <laughs> Just staring into the middle distance. Yeah. Tear running down my cheek. And finally, a pocket car jockey 
the best game of the decade. Uh-huh. Best game on the Nintendo 3DS. Uh-huh. Best sports game ever made. And Game Freak's best game is coming to iOS with Pocket Card Jockey right on. Um, the main edition instead, it has a 3D engine now. But if you've yeah. never mm. played Pocket Card Jockey on the Nintendo 3DS, well, you should play it on iOS. It's the game that begins with your jockey dying, going to heaven, and telling God that their only wish is to win the Triple Crown and being resurrected and being able to win the Triple Crown by the power of Solitaire. It makes Uh, a lot of sense. It is. uh, And I think it should work really well with the iOS touchscreen as well. So I I might have to... I've played that game into the ground but i'm kind of tempted to re-up my apple arcade subscription so that i can uh play it some more but our main topic is our segment from not hollow our 50 dollar patron if you are at the 50 dollar level you get to submit your very own topic and we'll discuss it on the podcast and this is what not hollow had to say about this particular topic they said When I was about halfway through Disco Elysium, I said to a friend, Disco Elysium will be the most influential game of the decade. He laughed, but I've spent a lot of time since then dreading the results of all the mad lab experiments that we'll see as people try to blend the lessons of Disco Elysium with their favorite RPGs. Disco Ring, Disco Quest, Disco Final Fantasy Tactics, Chrono Elysium. Mm, mm. Those are all terrible ideas, but what does compel me is this. Somewhere in the vast chasm that separates Life is Strange from Disco Elysium could emerge a demanding slice-of-life RPG that makes captivating game mechanics out of personality traits and mental processes. It'll be more fun than Disco and more complex than True Colors, and even the Blood God will have to acknowledge its greatness. What do you mean, even the Blood God? (laughs) Especially the Blood God. Indeed. That's a very specific example, and though I hate to admit it, there might be other games that will be almost as influential as Disco Elysium. So I turn to you, High Priestesses of the Blood God, and beg for answers. What games of the last 10 years have shown us what the next decade of RPGs will look like? Well, folks, I, could, I have an easy answer for you. It's called Witcher 3, a game that <laughs> I would argue is the most influential RPG of the past, uh, past 10 years. Are you going to disagree? Uh, let's see. Witcher three. I'm trying to think. I what... I'm, on team, I'm on team disco. I'm on team disco. Yeah, because I, I mean, feel what, like what game has used the lessons of Disco Elysium? I'm like Disco Elysium, no doubt, is a very, um, shall we say, forward thinking, amazing. Um, first of all, it's no doubt like a top one of the best twenty five RPGs ever made. Um, I, I think we put in our like top five. It mm-hmm. is yeah, incredibly it innovative. Aaron's incredibly, it, Aaron's it. Yeah. it like reinvents the concept of dialogue. But has there any been any game that has tried to do what it did in the past four Not years? Yet, but there will be. Do you think so? I think a lot of people are daunted by the level of mechan like writing and the the systems involved. Yes. I, I agree. I don't think anyone has tried to so directly clone that game the way that some people clone things like a, a tactics, like a Final Fantasy tactics right. or something like that. I think the influence of Disco Elysium is in its concept. 
how many times have we looked at a game the last even just two, three years and heard people say it's like Disco Elysium. It's got Never. Disco Elysium vibes. Really? This is, come on. Norco, <laughs> Sizzle Sleeper, like games like I, that. Where I do not like, play. Oh, it's, I am it's not got... involved in that scene. I, so you're I, saying, saying on indie games. I'm saying indie is definitely where it's starting. That's often where a lot of innovation in the industry starts and then it popularizes things and then it kind of works its way up the chain. It's it's I do think it's sometimes rare outside of front software or like Breath of the Wild where you get something that does cascade down in that way. So I actually think Elden Ring would also be in consideration for this. I think Elden Ring is going to be seen as an influential game on the scale of Breath of the Wild. So I think Disco Elysium is that sort of thing where it's it's a focus on narrative and a focus on that sort of internal narrative that can happen in conversation with the player, the way that it considers the the systems as storytelling bricks for what a game can do, I think is, is what Disco Elysium established that narrative is not just what you are told through a story or, or, or lore tidbit, but it can be a fundamental mechanic and building brick of the game. Yes. I, I don't think that it'll make its way into a triple A context um, when it comes Pentiment. to RPGs, which is fine. D- did you Pentiment. say Pentiment is not triple A? Yeah, Pentiment, it's made by Obsidian. Even if it's a small team within Obsidian, that was backed Pen- by Microsoft. Pentiment is a passion project by Josh Sawyer that only got made because it was able to come out on Game Pass. And it's, it's a cool passion project. Don't get me wrong. I love that it happened. Does that exclude it though? Like it's it's Microsoft's no, payroll either way. It, it was it was made under Microsoft under Xbox. It is Game not Studios intended to be mass market, which is what it's not intended to be mass market, which is what a AAA game is. Oh, You're not going to find ray tracing and freaking pentiment. <laughs> Maybe yeah, no, should. but 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 it's AAA a cool is not I'm a not measure too, of I'm quality. I'm not saying that it's a cool. No, absolutely not. It is not. But it. Is it like a big budget game that's being made by literally hundreds of people aiming for the mass market? Absolutely not. So, hence, it is not a AAA game. Mm-mm, um, mm-mm. Is Pentiment a lot like Disco Elysium? I actually haven't played it yet. Yes. Yeah, I, I would make the comparison only because I think it's actually gameplay-wise a bit closer to Night in the Woods. Mm-hmm. But it has Disco Elysium vibes in terms of it's definitely using narrative as building bricks. And also it's about it's a murder mystery. That's why I often draw the comparison. But there's also a lot of like inland empire, like internal thoughts uh, coalescing into things that you do in that game. The idea of your avatar having um, an internal sense of self that you are kind of dealing with and then interfacing with other people, uh, which is very Disco Elysium. That idea of like oh, my logic is talking to me right now. We're going to make a weird decision in the background that I'm a communist now. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> uh, that's very Disco Elysium. And there are moments like that in Pentiment. Disco Elysium is like holding a mirror up to yourself and it's very unsettling. Oh, because it's so good. if you just make the dialogue choices that kind of seem right to you, the game will reflect that back at you. And it's kind yeah. of unsettling at times. The results can be quite unsettling. Because the game will just decide, it's like, okay, oh, this is the kind of person that you are. Oh, so you're an asshole. You're a smug asshole, are you? Mm-hmm. You're a narc, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay, I got narc. And then the the voices in your head will demand that you be a narc forever. I was a sad wife guy. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you always running around? Why? 
Um, I think, so here's my take. I don't think that the RPG that determines what RPGs will look like has been made yet. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Because I think that the technology that is going to be the most influential on RPGs in the next 10 years is going to be AI. AI driven Mm. RPGs um, that basically are listening to your choices. And maybe this is where Disco Elysium comes in a little bit and basically generates quests and content based on your decisions. So in essence, a DM do you remember in Left for Dead they had the uh, the AI that would place the enemies, the director? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that at some point there will be an RPG with an AI driven DM. There's will AI be... dungeon. Dungeon. Yeah, AI dungeon is a thing that's been in yeah. experiments for the last couple of years. Yeah, something like that. Um, I don't think AI technology is there yet by a long shot, but do I think that um, if you if you fed like every RPG into an AI and then just said make quests based on these RPGs um, in reaction to the decisions that the player is making, then that could be a compelling experience, I think. That would be kind of weird, though. Like, when you look at a story, like, you're right, it's going to take time for the technology to get there. But when you look at a story now that's written by AI, it's so weird. Like, it it works. It fits together. But you can tell it's like some machine is just kind of putting it together instead of giving it that distinctly human touch that it so needs. But I guess the if it's something to build off of. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, think- it's... I mean, procedurally generated tech. We're going to find out how far procedurally generated technology has come in the past uh, seven seven years Um, Mm -hmm. since the release of No Man's Sky, which, by the way, is now seven years old now, um, when Starfield comes out. Um, Right. Because there's going to be a decent amount of procedurally generated technology in that game, I think. But uh, I think the developers have discovered that a mix of hand-drawn assets and very curated content with procedural generation has been kind of the way to go um, in recent years. But like I said, I don't think the technology is there necessarily with um, AI-driven concepts, but that is maybe what has has me most excited because in so many ways, uh, RPGs as we know them are based on tabletop concepts, right? Going back Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. D&D. And whatnot, and developers have never really been able to capture the the essence of having a DM drive the story and characters being able to define the story as they go, because I mean, there's a limit to the world that you can create. But theoretically, if you have an AI in the background who's generating story quests based on what you decide, like if you just decide to go on the beat off the beaten track. And the gang goes, oh, okay, going to start making stuff up now. Then you're mm-hmm. getting kind of closer to that holodeck concept that I think a lot of people have always been wanting. Like Skyrim mm. kind of tried to do a similar thing with its Radiant Quest. The Radiant, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it was always very simple. Think about how Radiant Quests could be dramatically expanded. 
um, using this AI, these AI concepts. But like I said, I don't think we're going to see anything like that for many years, uh, many mm-hmm. years yet. What I do actually think we're going to see from RPGs is more cyberpunk and more Witcher. I think cyberpunk and Witcher are going to be the template uh, going forward. Cyberpunk's an interesting choice. Uh, Witcher, yeah. sure, but maybe cyberpunk. I, I don't I'm, disagree. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm with you because I think you touched on something, the idea of the open world. And a lot of games have been looking towards tabletop for for inspiration lately. Sure. Things like Baldur's Gate 3 is obviously a D&D like game. And, and you know, Disco Elysium, Citizen Sleeper, very tabletop influenced. I, I do think there's this desire to create that world, right, where you're being presented a, like a campaign by DM, but it's taking place on in, in a world, a forum for role playing. And there's there's that open space to participate in. And so you have things like Elden Ring, where you are kind of just dropped into a world and told to go do something. And you can do that or you can just run off to Kaled and explore the third impact. You know, it's it's you can do whatever you want like in you that do. game. And I've even heard people who are confused by that when they first play Elden Ring. They're like, I don't get it. Like, what am I supposed to do? Where do I go? Where's, what's my objective? And I'm like, what do you want to do? <laughs> like, what? It's, it's there. Like, go find it. And I think RPGs are just now in the 3D era starting to explore that and, and really starting to get into it, create those open worlds that they did kind of have in the 2D era. You did have those times where you could fly around on your ship and just kind of go anywhere yeah. and do anything. And I think RPGs want to chase that in the 3D era and see where they can go with it. And Elden Ring is a perfect example of what what you can accomplish when you get there with it. This is what I'm perceiving from the RPG space. I think at a AAA level, video games are merging into this melange of open worlds, action hmm. things. And it's just kind of a question of, how deep are the mechanics? Uh, some some will have much deeper RPG mechanics than others. Like maybe I'll maybe it's a sliding scale of Witcher Three is somewhere over here, and then God of War, which I guess isn't technically an open world game, but there are the games that have the much lighter RPG elements, like Horizon. I suppose you could put yeah. Horizon mm-hmm. like kind of mm-hmm. over here and Witcher Three kind of over there, but fundamentally. Um, they're following a lot of the same concepts of just being like, yes, we're we're an open world game. Some have lighter conversational um, uh, mechanics than others. And they're all chasing it because open world games work. People want to play them. Uh, <laughs> Elden Ring was an open world game, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. not coincidentally, that was the game that really sent the series kind of into the stratosphere. I think that Hardcore RPGs like Pathfinder are going much more in the old school direction. And I think a lot of Japanese RPGs are chasing nostalgia as well. Um, So at a kind of a a more hardcore niche level, RPGs are looking backward rather than forward. Um, Disco Elysium was an interesting exception to that in the way that it combined uh, tabletop kind of uh design with kind Mm -hmm. of a more open-ended approach but um yeah like i mean we've been playing chained echoes a game that's yeah 
yeah. a rolling tribute to Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI and 16-bit RPGs. Um, as, as Certainly in the JRPG space, it's a nostalgia. It is a nostalgia genre through and through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to see what Chain Echoes does specifically because it it is so referential. It is so... Yeah. Like there, I, I feel like every second I'm bumping into something nostalgic or referential, but what it does with those manages to elevate it and make it feel very individual in a way that just some RPG maker clone of your favorite game might not. And we'll, we'll probably talk more about this later. We do have plans to do a Chained Echoes episode, but yeah, uh, I do think that there's something there in the idea that you can pull a lot out of the old and create something new, like building something out of what's come before and putting just enough of an individual twist on it that you make something new. And and that is certainly something that I think a lot of developers have been looking into. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, Breath of the Wild feels like it's looking back towards the first Zelda as much as it's looking towards open world game design. So like the idea that we can, look back at the ambitions of old and say, can we realize those ambitions now and make something with them? That's really exciting. And that's something that I see people wanting to chase. What I see is individual games taking what works in other games and kind of Frankensteining them in. Yeah. To wit, the proliferation of roguelites in Mm. recent years. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Indie space. It's a roguelite plus a survival game with a card mechanic, right? Um, could could you argue Slay the Spire might end up being one of the most influential? Yes. I think so, uh, for sure. Yes. Will have a heavily mm-hmm. heavy influence is. on RPGs? Yeah. I mean, uh, SteamWorld Quest was pretty much Slay the Spire, just, you know, with the Thunderful Games is a really pretty graphics mm-hmm. And, and and very like single player quest driven in a way that Slay the Spire is single player for sure, but but a little bit more like kind of you're going on runs, you know, you're yeah. you, that's the intent, whereas SteamWorld Quest is more about building things up over time. Kind of like the Pokemon trading card game, the original roguelike. <laughs> but, <laughs> I would know. I was never a Pokemon card fan. Oh, the Pokemon TCG game on Game Boy slaps. It is quite good. I've always found it interesting that nobody's been able to replicate Pokemon. Oh, I, yeah. I've, I've, I've I know had exactly conversations about we this have, be- yeah. because it's Pokemon has a house style with its monsters and also the merch machine and everything. But I've always felt that if somebody truly did make a triple A Pokemon that was like absolutely gorgeous and didn't have the bloat that it's kind of come to overcome the Pokemon series that I think they would probably have something pretty magical on their hands. I don't Is know. It- people keep trying it and they keep like what is it temtem mm. like that just kind of yeah but they're making freaking cassette beasts they're all making mmorpgs okay what they should mm-hmm. be making is a big open world single player rpg with quests and you go and you beat gyms or whatever and you have pokemon but off brand monsters right and they're running around on your sides and you can ride them you know like don't make it free to play. Don't make it free to play, okay? No, no. Number one, it can't be free to play. It just can't be. Just don't stop. To me, the best Pokemon clones are the ones that just completely do their own thing. Like, what was it? Monster Sanctuary, was it? 
where mm, you had yeah, like the, yeah. the like that was its own thing completely. I really enjoyed it. Uh, even on the iPhone, which is like, of course, the this viper's nest of terrible imitators, there was like I remember a game called Monster Island or Blue Dragon Island or both of them actually by the same company, and it was a Pokemon clone, yes, but it was also much more focused on making the game fun to play and deep than it was on making these cool ass monster designs like your 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 monsters are practically clip art that someone else kind of like modified slightly and it's like okay here's your your pokemon is actually just a lion but it doesn't matter because the game's the way they you're able to you know make him fight and make him grow is is so cool that you don't care that he's a stupid looking lion it's just it's imagine just a fun if, game to play imagine if from software decided to do pokemon see i could deal with that that'd be kind of dope right i i'd be i'd be down for that if, if cd project does a- pokemon Ubisoft, don't do Pokemon, please. It's okay. We don't need you. Yeah. Um, I I think the I think the thing with Pokemon that a lot of places don't get right is its charm and its world, right? Yeah. There's I think there is so much about Pokemon that is in its actual monsters, but also in the world and the story surrounding it. Like I like Pokemon Scarlet and Violet a lot. And a big chunk of that is that I like the Paldea region. I like the the theme of it. I like the drive of it. I, and it feels very cohesive in the moment where there's very intentional placing of Pokemon. Like, like they feel very put in the world and, and the routes feel very suited to what's happening. It is a world that feels very built to be experienced. And I think a lot of other games try to replicate the Pokemon formula without understanding the base level of the Pokemon formula. They just try to do like, oh, we want to do our version of Pokemon, but they don't get why it works at the base level. So, well, as Super Moot brings up, what about Pokemon with guns? It's I can't remember that game. <laughs> oh, Pal World. Yeah, Pal World. Yeah. Like that's the, gonna the be reason, either. The reason Pokemon always worked was that it was, on the face of it, very accessible. You pick your little monster. He's cute. You're going on mm-hmm. a you're going on an adventure with your monster. Adventure. Mm-hmm. People just immediately understand it. But then as you keep digging down, you keep discovering more and more layers. Oh, I could breed these things? Oh, like they're what's this monster? What's that monster? What do these stats mean? What do these abilities mean? What do these traits mean? Oh, I can play against battle against other people. And then or you can just catch them all, you know? And that has always been kind of the, the the beauty of Pokemon, I think, is just how many layers down it goes. It's a hardcore RPG, fundamentally, and that's why it, it developed such a community. Um, Not Hollow is actually in the uh, in the chat. Thanks for joining us, Not Hollow. Um, and they uh, want to know how about Persona Five? Pretty popular mm. game. It's in the top twenty-five RPGs. How will that push things forward or backward? Uh, it's an interesting question. I think that a decent number of JRPGs have attempted to certainly grab the relationship mechanics For sure. of the Perso- mm-hmm. Persona mm-hmm. series, um, which, of course, as we were already discussing, itself goes back to Tokimeki Memorial and whatnot. But um, I think that if Persona is influential in any way it's because they will attempt to copy the dating mechanics everybody is thirsty in rpgs that's the secret fire emblem thirstiness who's probably you why another uh at least in my opinion another big influencer for the upcoming decade is going to be genshin impact the mm. kind of free to play mm. 
actual meaty RPG that has a, gotcha a whole mechanics. ton of fan service. Yeah, we let you pay money to roll for the anime waifus. That Basically, is... yeah. That's yeah. dark. It is Look, a dark. How far did you get in Genshin Impact? I saw you playing it. Uh-oh. Okay, we're, we're just doing this now, huh? Live on air. <laughs> um, yes, I tried Genshin Impact over the break. Uh, I got to the point where I could start to feel the pull of, oh, but if I put money in, I could roll to get my this this anime waifu that I really want. She's electric and she's got a sword and she's real cool. And I looked at how much money it costs to do one single 10 pull, a, a, a roll of the dice once. And I was like, this is I can't do this. This will be a problem. There Eric, are other proud of you. Proud of you. I, I looked at the abyss and for once I said no. And then I booted you, you up did Final it so. Fantasy XIV. All right, abyss, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no there, look, is there a gotcha game that will probably get me at some point? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I am gullible. But I, <laughs> I, Genshin was not doing enough for me to get me there. I think that's where the disconnect is, is I needed more like single player things to tie me in. I kept thinking of 14 and how, like the the MSQ, the good parts of 14, you can just get in and go. And then if you want to keep going and do other stuff, there's so much stuff on the side that you can do. And then the whole time you're paying a subscription fee and, and you're you're clocking in that way. So I don't like gotcha mechanics on their face just because it feels yeah. like they're trying to get you to pay in a different way. Uh, and I'd rather just pay the sub fee than pay the the rolls and all that. I but... always feel weird playing an RPG, especially the media of the RPG. I always feel weird playing it when it's free. Like Brave Exvius is huge, mm, but I've just mm-hmm, never been able mm-hmm. to get into it because gotcha in a free RPG, it's just kind of weird. I, 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 I don't it like excuse the mechanics. Games, but... There comes to a point. Maybe initially you're fine, but once you hit the end game and you, that grind gets going, and then all the events get going, eventually power creep starts to take over. Yeah. Oh, trust me, I played Fire Emblem Heroes, a game that was actually fairly generous with its orbs, but mm-hmm. it was quite horrifying mm-hmm. to watch people sinking hundreds of dollars mm-hmm. into these into these heroes. People were making jokes about like you could get an iPhone or you could get this JPEG of a character from Fire Emblem mm-hmm. Heroes. Make your choose wisely. Choose wisely. Here's the wild thing: is I don't dislike gotcha as a, as as just a straight mechanic, and yeah. I think it can it goes be straight used. into my brain, Eric. I, I it's the kind of genre because my favorite kind of game is the one where I have a giant pool of characters and I can just mm-hmm. build combinations mm-hmm. of parties mm-hmm. endlessly. That's how I ended up playing Fire Emblem Heroes so much. So yeah. gotcha is very dangerous to me. I I want the game. I want the premium gotcha. I want the one where you pay maybe a subscription fee, but probably more likely you you pay a $60 thing. And, and the, the game that takes gotcha and turns it into a fully fledged game and, and still uses the, those mechanics like Xenoblade. And then I think Fire Emblem Engage also is going to use gotcha in some way with, with its bond rings. But uh. I like the idea it it's, wasn't it, a it wasn't a gotcha game per se because you didn't do random draws, but SD Gundam G Generation Genesis had a similar kind of feel to it in the sense of you would level up your machines and keep evolving them into new ones, and then you mm-hmm. could trade them out mm-hmm. for a certain mm-hmm. amount of money mm-hmm. to get other machines that would get you onto different tracks. 
So you mm. could con- constantly continue to, and the, and the whole point was to basically catch them all, but with Gundams. Catch them But uh, to return to Persona 5 for a second, I think that similar to Fire Emblem Three Houses, I mean, you've definitely seen Persona's Five's influence on games like Fire Emblem Three Houses and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, school yeah, days sure. setting is a popular one, I think. Um, the the romantic aspects of getting to know all of these characters who are all very thirsty and very hot and very memeable. Uh, definitely something that works really well with Persona. Uh, the calendar-driven system uh, can be very successful in a school setting. Um, I don't know what the freaking Hogwarts legacy. I don't know what the structure of that game is. I don't think it's calendar driven necessarily. It might be uh, seasonal, but it seems to be going more Ubisoft than persona, which I think is a, a choice, but yeah, I guess that makes sense. They want that game to appeal to the broadest I, swath of people. It can, I saw the so. number of like all of the like stupid I saw all of the, the the quests and collectibles that you could get and the stuff that you complete. And I'm like, oh, it's one of those. <laughs> feels yeah. al- feels almost more Far Cry. Here's an RPG that's not necessarily an RPG, but will influence RPGs. Stardew Valley. Yes. Yeah, yes. for sure. It already has, is. has already influenced. Go watch that Nintendo Direct this last year where they announced like 14 farm different games. farming games. <laughs> yeah. Some of those are Rune Factory inspired, though. Gotta say. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, like Rune Factory is quietly also put. I mean, even Stardew Valley had combat in it and had yeah. stuff. It's just people it are did. also realizing like, oh, hey, what if we did the yes and of Will Stardew Valley? Will we ever get a triple A Stardew? That's what I'm asking. I'm just farming waiting. simulator. Farming hmm. simulator. <laughs> Harvestella is probably the closest thing we've had so far. Harvestella was on the right track. Yeah. But yeah. give me a high fantasy RPG with an uh, Unreal Engine 5. Um, big fields to explore. Interesting. Uh, like a beautiful little town. That kind of thing. Lots of characters to meet in a calendar driven system. Do you guys not um, remember when, like, uh, we were at US Gamer and uh, Farming Simulator announced tractors? And just for a joke, I kind of made like a, a cute article about everyone freaking out about, you know, because there's a whole reaction thing in Europe about like Farming Simulator mm-hmm, getting tractors, mm-hmm, and everyone mm-hmm. was like screaming in German because they were so excited about this. So I wrote this article because no one else was writing about it in North America, and I got a, <laughs> a crap ton of hits because it was Farming Simulator. Farming Simulator. Farming yeah. simulator. I want to go farm. Here's uh, what I, I think the crux of it is. People want to go live in these video game fantasy worlds. Yeah. They want a different life than the one that they have. And RPGs touch on that to a greater degree than a lot of games. Um, they touch on that aspect of, I want to live here. That's why Skyrim is so popular. It's why Skyrim is one of the top 25 RPGs of all time, Eric, because it comes the closest to capturing the holodeck feel of being able to live in these games. And I and think you can that shout house Carl's off cliffs. Any game that manages to get close to that is going to end up being very successful in the coming years. Here's what I will say to that. And and why I think we haven't seen the AAA Stardew yet is I don't know that there's the confidence that a AAA Stardew will sell as a $70 box game. And that mm-hmm. is kind of 
we've talked about it a lot recently. Reb had a great article actually about the cost of video games to start the the new year off. And I recommend y'all go read it. It's a very good article. Um, But they have to have so much in them that Harry Potter is a good example of it has farming elements in it. Other games have kind of been sneaking some farming ideas in, but can a Stardew sell a $70 box game? I think it could, but I don't think publishers are confident that it would. I think that's the disconnect is there's this need to have more on top to have the bullet point features, the things that you can night city wire out, you know, do your streams about like, we're talking about this part today. You need to have that bullet point feature. And it's, it's bloat that I feel a lot in a lot of these games that I, I love Stardew because of how focused it is and how concentrated it is. But are we going to see that in AAA? That's a different question. I think that any AAA Stardew Valley would probably, rather than emphasizing the farming aspect, want to emphasize the the open-ended action and the exploration Mm -hmm. and everything, but be underpinned by all of the the, the Stardew aspects, right? The the farming and the having your own place to live and being able to meet all of these characters, all of whom are very thirsty for you. Um, If you say AAA farming sim, maybe people will tune out to a great degree but uh gamers gamers will tune out but no i think uh stardew valley has certainly been one of the most influential um mm-hmm. almost sure. rpgs of the uh the past decade so like slay the spire stardew valley witcher 3 uh kind of all point toward where rpgs are going to some extent maybe disco elysium i think but uh thanks so much to not hollow um <laughs> for the, the the idea for this particular topic. And uh, we appreciate you and we appreciate everybody at the $50 level. Okay, time now for a brand new segment as we go into 2023. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last year, we did the Top 25 RPG Revisit. Now, we've had a lot of conversations about the Pantheon of the Blood God, games that we've been putting into the Pantheon or not putting into the Pantheon. And it's time now to revisit some of those decisions and decide whether or not we were in the wrong. We're not going to make a decision right now, but eventually we're going to do a special in which we reorder the Pantheon. So let's start with our knee-jerk reactions 
We'll start with Lufia 2, the second RPG we ever examined for the Pantheon of the Blood God. If you're not familiar with Lufia 2, that is, uh, came out in the mid-90s on the Super Famicom, late era Super Famicom game. Top-down, quite beautiful, a lot of a lot of side content to discover. Pretty enjoyable uh, battle system. Uh, dungeons are very Zelda-y. Um, and we ultimately decided not to put it in the Pantheon. Knee-jerk reaction, Nadia. Yes or no? Were we wrong to not put Lufia in the Pantheon? No, I think we're pretty bang on. Uh, yeah. I gotta be honest. It just... Uh... It was a good game. Don't get me wrong. Like certainly one of the higher quality SNES games, but I just didn't really see it. Uh, I, I feel like everything it did, it was done better by other games. Like for example, the time skip was done better by Dragon Quest V, which is in the Pantheon. Uh, I think a lot of the puzzles were done better and like you know linked to the past. Uh, I don't know. I just didn't find it like as a whole a really incredibly fun experience, but I didn't find it bad. So Fraid doesn't really have that mark of greatness for me. I think its mark of greatness is definitely the ancient cave, which right, um, right. definitely, I mean, we want to talk about influential. It had almost that roguelite aspect to it. Way, it was very ahead of its time in trying to get all the way, uh, chew all the way through this massive tower. And it was low key, uh, quite influential, I think. Uh, also, banging soundtrack and beautiful graphics. Um, I think that maybe Lufia 2 is one of the more underrated games on the Super Nintendo. Um, Eric, do you have Lufia 2 opinions? Nah, and that's probably why it's not in the Pantheon. Is that, <laughs> I don't like, have an opinion, as, therefore it doesn't deserve to be in the Pantheon. I mean, look. Well, look. that tells you it right there. The younger generation didn't find yeah. a reason to go back to it. We, not like we Trigger or Final youngins, Fantasy. my bones creaking, telling me I'm a youngin. Um, yeah, no, it's it, it's one that when I do my look backs, when I go like, hey, I need to catch up. There's still a lot of RPGs, of, especially the SNES era was an era I missed because I was barely alive at the time uh so when i look back and i'd see you know what is important from this era what's remarkable lufia 2 ain't at the top of that list mm. and i like i'm just saying as as the outsider looking in Outside can something be good in. sorry yeah something can be good but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's you know groundbreaking that's something else so was, and why this is gonna hoist me later when i start to defend some other games but so what you're saying <laughs> is lufia 2 should be in the hall of very good yeah i mean look it's <laughs> yeah in, you go there that, that. that's where a lot of games are it shouldn't be feeling bad yeah. it's not in the pandemonium it certainly doesn't no, look like a pandemonium no. game but uh when it comes to lufia 2 when you walk into the pantheon museum Luffy 2's in the gift shop? <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Hey. Luffy 2 in the gift shop, hey. yeah. Or like, uh, so one of my favorite things is over at San Francisco International Airport is the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame for some reason. So you'll just mm. be walking down the terminal toward your gate and you'll just randomly find Cooperstown-style plaques dedicated to various Bay Area uh, sports people like John Madden and whatnot. 
And I always thought that that was a rather hilarious way to commemorate the Bay Area's greatest (laughs) sports people is just to put them in a random terminal in the airport. Um, So that's where Lufia 2 is. It's in San Francisco International Airport. I was going to say, it's like it's the Simpsons gag of like so-and-so salutes Hannibal crossing the Alps. Like it's just this thing that just happens and goes by. Supermoot wants to know, does the Pantheon Museum have a cafe and can you get sloshed in it? Yeah, it's the Dragon Quest Cafe. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Cafe you need. We've got Grog. Yeah. I'd go to the, I would go to the Pantheon Museum. This is the new project. Once we hit uh, the $1 million tier, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we will underwrite a full-on RPG Pantheon Museum. Mm -hmm, Okay. mm -hmm. And we will do the pyramid concept in which Chrono Trigger gets its own floor. And then you just keep going down. Right. So um, sounds good to me. So yeah, like a boss tower, like Chrono Trigger is <laughs> the boss at the top. You got to climb all the floors to get to it. It's like you get to the top and then there's Sephiroth waiting for you. Uh, one winged angel or Kefka. No, it's seven and seven's not in the top 25, is it? I don't think it is. I think it is, isn't it? Is it? Uh, oh crap! Now I have to go look. Do Thanks, we need to y'all. reevaluate the top twenty-five again every year? Seven is in the top thirty-five. Wait, thirty-five. It we is. Don't have a when do we do a thirty-five? It is in the top twenty-five. It is, it is. Top number 25. twenty-one. Ah uh-huh. Well, it is better yeah. than Skyrim. So, I mean, it because Eric does that's... vandalize the Skyrim section every night. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, how does this keep happening as I scrub crayon maybe, off the maybe our Maybe our limits test is, if we're doing the Pantheon Museum, would it be weird to have for this for this game to be in it? Um, and I would say, uh, like I said, Lufia 2 should be in the gift shop. So yeah, okay. It's my, my knee-jerk reaction. Putting in the gift shop wing. And that's it for the Pantheon Revisit. We're going we're gonna to keep doing this. For the uh, the next few weeks, uh, next couple months, I think, mm-hmm. as we uh, mm-hmm. continue to go back to some of the more controversial Pantheon discussions, we're gonna talk to we're gonna talk about Final Fantasy VIII, and Abby is going to kill some people. It's gonna be pretty mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Nadia, take us home. So I know like before the year went out, we kind of talked about the uh, bad games he received as gifts and just bad gifts in general. Now I was thinking about like gifts that I got for Christmas or holidays where I didn't think I would like them and you wouldn't think I was going to like them, but I ended up really liking them. And in one case, when I was 12, maybe a little bit younger, actually it was like closer to 10 or 11, I got, believe it or not, a, a set of Sweet Valley Twin books. Like... Which is a series about a <laughs> twin twin girl, Jessica and Elizabeth, in California, like the most like hoidiest toidiest part of California you can possibly imagine. And being idiotic twins and being shallow as hell. And you'd think like, okay, why does Nadia have this? Who gave it to her? It was my aunt, God bless. And like this is like the least naughty thing that ever existed. And I thought to myself, this is the least naughty thing that ever existed. But then I read them and I'm like, I kind of like these books. 
And then I, I, I kind of spread the disease around school because I was telling my friends, oh, yeah, I really like Sweet Valley Twins. And then there was a rift because uh, some other my uh, some of my other friends got into <laughs> Babysitter's Club. So we had mm-hmm. that war going mm-hmm. on. But uh, around the time, like, I, I wasn't a fan for very long because what happened was um, by the time they got to the sixth book, which I guess is as far as I got, they had done the whole twin swapping thing, like, 60 times saying like you know okay we're gonna fool mom and dad and like you know so i'm gonna like go oh. do, do my thing and you go do your thing and i got really bored with it so yeah that was like a very short-lived love affair but then i did actually pick up sweet valley high out of habit because i was bored and uh i was like okay cool there's like jessica and elizabeth and they go like you know go crazy or one of them gets teen pregnant or something cool like that but no it was actually really boring so I <laughs> sweet valley her. high the next generation <laughs> sweet valley degrassi high this yeah <laughs> oh my god sweet valley twin degrassi that would be incredible that would be good what a mess. That's, our, that's our pitch the riverdale of sweet valley high you know because it was like even how have we not into- had the riverdale rpg uh, or we- something on that level archie so- would be interesting because i was i grew up reading archie Friend of the show, Jesse Vitelli, has been trying to pitch for several years now, and I will bring it up here. Uh, wants Dot Emu and the folks who made, you know, uh, TMNT and uh, Streets of Rage and stuff like that to make a beat 'em up starring the the Southside Serpents. I would play like that in five. A Riverdale, five. Riverdale meets Scott Pilgrim versus the Ooh. World kind of beat 'em up game where you play as Archie and Jughead and Betty and Veronica and all them. And it is one of the best pitches I've ever heard in my life. Like, to call it dust out of Riverdale. Yeah, <laughs> like, like it'd be it'd be so good. Like you could just picture it, how good it would be. So yeah, we do need that, but we do also need the Riverdale RPG for sure. My dad used to go around saying, "Yeah, Betty, what a gal." <laughs> I'm I'm Team Veronica. Are you really your team? Why are you Team Veronica? She is like she's into old money. She's really she's got to be twisted. It's very funny because I'm like very certain that Oscar and Ray are the Betty and Veronica of the anime world. And I oh was my God. team Oscar when I first watched Evangelion and I was team Veronica when I watched Riverdale. So uh, that's just is Oscar just Betty is. or Veronica? Oscar is Veronica. hundred percent. It is the, the one who is mean to, to Shinji slash Archie. <laughs> who but is... Ray is brain dead. So I'm not team Oscar or um ray i am team class president oh that is a deep cut mm-hmm. look she's just really earnestly trying to keep that class going amid the third impact okay oh that's <laughs> not japanese about that <laughs> she's tried so hard <laughs> also i like freckles so team mm-hmm. pla- class president i gotcha Yes, starting to be clear, this was when I was watching Evangelion at a too young age. Nowadays, it's all Masato. Masato's the best. Why don't we have a Degrassi beat-em-up? Degrassi beat-em-up would be so... See, that's what I'm saying. This should be like a tag team fighter of Degrassi, Riverdale, uh, Beverly Hills, 90210, the OC. (laughs) Like, get all the teen dramas in there. But then it's like a Marvel versus Capcom situation. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. Marvel is a Capcom with Degrassi and and Riverdale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is great. This is good stuff. We're coming into 2023 strong people. It's a good pitch. Mm -hmm. Someone Mm -hmm. listen to Mm -hmm. us, please. And that's it for this week's episode of Acts of the Blood God. Thank you so much for listening. 
I have been your host, Kat Bailey. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me on uh, there at the underscore Catbop. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at CMOSI, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. You can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where if you want to submit your own topic, well, at some point, I'm sure a $50 tier will open up, but you can also come hang with us as part of the Stars of Destiny. Or you can listen to our Pantheon episodes or all of our specials, the Charlene dropouts. It's all great. We're really looking forward to all the content that we are going to be putting out in 2023, and we're also going to be going to PAX East. Uh, Eric, have we submitted our panel yet? Uh, not yet, because we got to find guests, but we will be submitting our panel shortly. Don't worry, it's happening. Don't worry. We'll be heading into the Acts of the Blood God after dark, the post show, just after, just in a bit, even though it's morning, actually. It's quite morning this year. Yes. After Acts of the Blood God after coffee. But <laughs> in the meantime, for Eric, Nani, and myself, thanks for listening and happy adventuring. Thank you.